Hello to all our listeners. Thank you for joining us today on episode 13 of our MMM podcast, Music is Medicine, Ask the Expert. MMM stands for Music Men's Minds, a nonprofit organization that began seven years ago. Founded by Carol Rosenstein and her late husband, Erwin Rosenstein, Music Men's Minds' mission is to serve seniors suffering from neurodegenerative diseases, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, stroke, traumatic brain injuries, and PTSD. The story begins with Carol. Her husband, Erwin, fell into the clutches of Parkinson's. Erwin's decline due to this neurodegenerative disease was steep, but one thing kept the joy alive through the late stages of his life, music. Thus, Music Men's Minds was born. Enjoy episode 13 of Music is Medicine, Ask the Expert. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Dr. Julian Johnson. Could you tell us a little about yourself and what your research focuses on? Thank you so much, Katie, for inviting me to this wonderful podcast. I'm really happy to be here. So um, I am a professor of cognitive neuroscientists, cognitive neuroscience at the University of California, San Francisco, but I got to my academic life through music. So um, I started out um, in elementary school, like most people did, playing in, uh, an instrument, the flute, but also singing in the school choir and playing guitar and all that kind of fun stuff you do as an elementary school student. And then I just fell in love with music after going to Interlochen, um, the music camp up in Michigan when I was uh, a in between my junior and senior years. And I just fell in love with music so much there, I wanted to study it. So I was fortunate when I was doing my auditions to go to um, to study music, I was awarded um, a scholarship um, at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, where I got to study flute performance and also music therapy. Now, at the time, I guess you can say I was already interested in music and health because I was thinking I was going to become both a performer and a music therapist but I actually got really interested in the brain and thought I was fascinated by this idea that how could the, how could the brain process music? And especially with people living with dementia, it was so striking to me. And um, there were a couple things that happened. One is, believe it or not, at a music school, they invited a scientist named Carl Prebrum to come talk about brain mechanisms of music. And this was back in the 1980s, which was unheard of. So I feel like that they were already thinking about the arts and sciences and trying to make those connections. And I was so fortunate to to take away from that and decide that um, I wanted to go study um, cognitive neuroscience and study music. So when I was trying to decide which population, I too, um, like many other people who were inspired to be in this profession, um, was fortunate enough to observe an older person who was at one of these adult day centers. And there was a typical scene, a bunch of people sitting around in a room, not doing very much. Their heads are down and nobody's really communicating with each other. It was really quiet. So as a graduate student, I walked in and, uh, you know, I was going around greeting some folks and this older woman um, got up from her chair and walked over to the piano, sat down and she wiggled her rear end a little bit around, put her fingers right on the piano and started playing the most beautiful music I'd ever heard. And I couldn't believe it. This was from somebody who wasn't communicating with me and clearly the room was having difficulty socially connecting. And everybody at that point lit up and started singing along with her music that she was playing. And that just struck me so, um, I can remember that day to the very day um, This at this part of my life because it was so striking that music had such a 
powerful impact on the ability not only for this person to connect and reconnect with who they were as a person, but also inspire the room to connect and be with others and socialize and sing along. And, and of course, I was so moved. I said, this is it. I want to study aging. I want to study dementia. And I want to study music. And I, and I want to know why <laughs> this happens. And so that's when I um, embarked on my dissertation topic of studying um, preserved memory for music and people living with Alzheimer's disease. So I know this is a little bit of a long story, but you know, then you, you can imagine once I finished, um, there weren't a lot of grant funding opportunities to study music and brain. So I kind of shifted my focus a little bit more to neuropsychology, and but I still studied cognitive aging and I was able to get a, a few little small music studies along the way. Um, I had moved out to California by that time and was down at UC Irvine at their Institute for Brain Aging. So it really wasn't until I applied for a Fulbright Fellowship in, where I was able to go to Finland for six months and I got inspired to study um, the impact of singing in a choir on older adults in terms of their well-being. And although I had studied um, older adults living with dementia for many, many years, I really wanted to kind of think across the spectrum of aging. And so I was fortunate to spend six months in Finland um, and learn uh, from both the uh, Department of Geriatrics and the Music uh, Department and think about what was it in a country that valued music from the time you were born all the way to the time it was the last day of your life. And in particular, the Nordic countries are, are strong supporters of civic music and music um, in a way that's not just professional music, but in community. And in a small town of about 120,000 people, this is Uvascula, Finland, there were 50 choirs. I mean, by five zero choirs. And there was a choir for everybody in every combination you could imagine. And of those 50 choirs in this town of 120 or 50,000 people, six of them were devoted to older adults. So they really valued um, singing and music throughout the lifespan. And I, I learned so much from being there. So thankfully, when I got back from Finland, there was a, um, a call for grants from the National Institute of Health to have innovative ways to promote healthy aging. And of course, I took those ideas from my experiences in Finland, Finland and applied them um, in the grant where I collaborated with the Department of Aging here in San Francisco, a community music center here and the University of California, San Francisco. And um, we put together the Community Voices Study, which is the largest study to date so far about singing um, in a choir for older adults. And we randomized people to either be um, in a group that started their choir immediately or waited six months to start their choir. And then, uh, so this was, uh, you know, using randomization techniques to um, put people in a, the two different groups. And at the end of the six months of singing, we found that older adults who sang in a choir um, had statistically significant reductions in feelings of loneliness, but also they had more interest in life. So they have less apathy. They were interested in staying more engaged with life. And, you know, when we did our focus groups, uh, the uh, some of the people described how they were just kind of stuck in a, a, an apartment by themselves. And the choir gave them a purpose to go out and uh, meet with the group and something to do every week. 
So I know that was a long story, but but I think I want to emphasize that it's been a very kind of twisty and turvy kind of way to finally get to the, the stage where I am now with I have some other grants and then I'm happy to stop there and not um not go too long. So thank you for asking. I really appreciate getting to hear about your trajectory through this field because I feel like the researchers that are coming into this space, a lot of them have a music background or a very unique way that they've they've found their way into this. Um, and there's there's usually a very beautiful story behind it. So you mentioned UCSF, and I'd love to know more about the Institute for Health and Aging. And if this was this older adult choir study part of that institute, or did it sort of feed into it? Yeah, so the Institute for Health and Aging here at UCSF is a wonderful place to work because it's very interdisciplinary. So we have people who are nurses and physicians, sociologists, people who are interested in law and policy. So I found a really natural home in the Institute for Health and Aging. And so that's kind of my academic home. So when I was applying for the grant from the National Institute of Health, that was where um, kind of I was, we based the study, but then most of my research was in the community. So we did all of our interviews with the participants and there were almost 400 enrolled in the study. We went to 12 different senior centers in San Francisco. All of my team went out into the community. We did the assessments and interviews out there. The choirs were delivered um, in all 12 different senior centers in the community. And then of course we finished up with post-intervention interviews too. So even though I feel like the Institute for Health and Aging was part of the study, we really never were sitting <laughs> there and we went out into the community um, and did all of our, our science, which is I think really important to do. And um, the majority of the participants in our study were from diverse um, backgrounds too. So we made a special effort to meet them where they were in their communities. I really like that you've talked a lot about the social piece and the community. Um, and so I'm curious, why should we prioritize community-based interventions and how can we, how do they promote more wide reaching health? Well, I think, um, First of all, community is where people kind of live, eat, work, and play, right? So that's where they are. And I think some of the barriers to doing research have always been trying to get people to come to the academia, you know, the, the into the university. And I think those add too many barriers for people to feel comfortable. And um, also transportation is a huge issue. So if you flip around um, and think about doing research in community, you're doing it with input from the community to begin with. That's my first step. I go out and talk to the community members and say, I'm kind of thinking about a choir for older adults. Like, what would that look like? What would that feel like? How often do you think we should, you know, would you like to meet? And I talk to the professionals in the community too, um, not just the professionals at the universities. I go to go to them and I say, what do you think we should be doing? We put that all together with the, the best practices that come from research and community best practices. So then the idea is we're designing something that is community um, support it, kind of ground up from the community and something that the community wants. And the, the, the ultimate outcome of that is it becomes adopted by the communities, it gets um, disseminated widely, and then ultimately it affects the health of the communities. 
do you feel like these community interventions, especially if we can create more of them and influence more people to be able to come into these spaces, do you feel like that might help some of the hesitancy to implement music therapy in the healthcare field? Yes, I think I think that's a good idea. Um, I, I I see music being uniquely suited to um, function in lots of different social contexts. So we have, for example, um, we have when people are growing up and and developing across their lifespan. We have people when they're adults and maybe they want to prevent health conditions and they might get involved with music. But let's say they need to go into a hospital for something, and if there were music therapists there to help them deal with whatever the rehabilitation they're doing in the hospital, deal with some of the conditions. And then ideally we'd have music follow them into rehabilitation once they go home. And then think about music again, across the lifespan, all the way through, for example, palliative care or end of life. So in that sense, music becomes very similar in Finland, a part of all of the aspects of life. And not just, you don't just study it when you're a younger person and maybe pick it up when you're retired, but you think about how does music function in all these different roles in your life and who might the music professionals be, be, you know, music therapists, uh, professional musicians, music teachers, your friends who live next door and you make music together, um, et cetera. So that's, that's the other reason why I think music and community is important because that's where music happens. Have you found greater benefits either in the social or well-being aspects for people, older adults who have more of it, like a younger background in music? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, In my community voices study, over half of the people had never sung in a choir as an adult. So we really marketed this research study so that it would be accessible to people without training. We took all comers. um, So we took people that had a little bit more music training, but we really wanted this to be um, accessible. And I think we were successful with over half of the people believing that they could try to sing in a choir um, after age 60. I think that was our, our cutoff age, 60 and above. So... I think music, in some cases, music background can help you. In other ways, it might get in the way. Um, I did hear from a number of elders that the um, they had heard when they were younger that they shouldn't sing because they didn't have a good voice. And then that stopped them from ever singing again. You know, some of that's a carryover from lots of old kind of music education traditions. And I'm not blaming anybody, but I think... Um, Even in the current study that I'm doing about piano improvisation training uh, with Dr. Charles Lim, we selected people who had less than three years of education because we think that there might be some particular benefits to learning those new ways of interacting with music as as an older adult. Um, So I think any background can engage. Certainly there's some types of music that are easier and more accessible to kind of as an entry level, you know, the the singing is great for entry. The drumming um, is also really great, but something like, um, you know, learning how to play a piano keyboard, you might have to have a little bit more, um, not background, but more, you might have to do more practice to really get to a point that you can enjoy and be before it's pleasurable but it's not impossible and that's what we're trying to do right now 
So it sounds like there's a variety of benefits for learning and picking up these kind of skills even later into adulthood. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think um, Nina Krauss, um, Dr. Nina Krauss has talked about, it's great if you start music when you're young. It's great if you stop it, you know, when you when you maybe finish high school. And if you pick it up again later in life, we can still see the benefits of that music training um, early in life. But we also know that if you pick up music um, later in life, that you get some of the same types of benefits. Um, so it really doesn't matter when you pick up music. Um, and if you even if you studied it when you were um, a child or not, there's many, many ways your body and the brain can um, interact with with music. That's what I love about it. It's so accessible. And I know for the members at Music Men's Minds, they're not just playing songs that they've heard in the past and they've known for years. They're also learning new songs. And so uh, what would you say is different in terms of the cognitive benefits for practicing familiar tunes or new music? Mm -hmm. So we know that listening to familiar music or even singing music from the past is good for your brain and your body and also learning new music is good. And there's just some slightly different brain networks that are involved and there's some overlap, but clearly we need more research to better understand how they're different, whether you're kind of listening or singing old music versus listening or singing uh, new music. So for example, listening to familiar music um, engages networks of the brain that are involved in what we think are long-term memory and retrieving those memories. Also emotion, self-identity. So if you have listened to, um, you know of a familiar song, there's probably autobiographical memory that's associated with that song, whether it's the emotional expression or feelings, it could also be an event. Um, music is part of a lot of um, popular events in everybody's life. But oftentimes uh, hearing and singing familiar music also kind of initiates movement because of that muscle memory that was associated with that, that familiar music from earlier in life. And our brains are incredibly good at responding to uh, familiar music, um, even for those who are living with dementia. So I think there's, we think of the different networks, whether it's obviously auditory cortex, which is involved with the early stages of hearing, and then it gets involved in the networks that are more frontal parts of the brain to parietal as they start to think about um, self-identity and the memories that are involved. Um, and uh, obviously there's a pleasure experience and a reward experience that uh, occurs oftentimes with familiar music. So that involves, you know, deep parts of the brain and those pleasure and reward centers of the brain. Um, so a lot of parts of the brain are involved and that's just when you're listening or singing something familiar. But when you're learning new music, I think what's unique is you're, you are engaging the parts of the brain that are involved in learning new information. So in the case of music, again, that auditory cortex, you're hearing it, um, your attention might be slightly different because you're, you're hearing something new. So your, your um, attention networks are paying close attention <laughs> to the new music, but then you might involve your medial uh, temporal lobes, which uh, are involved in learning new information. And with rehearsal and practice, eventually those get transferred to the networks that are, we think are more long-term memory. But 
we hope that there's some kind of fun and pleasure that go along with hearing new music and learning new music. So some of those same brain networks of reward and pleasure are probably involved too. So, and you certainly have to pay attention when you're learning something new, um, probably more so than when you're listening to something familiar. So there's overlap in the brain areas and body. And there's, there's also some unique brain structures that are engaged. It's interesting that it sounds a little bit like with learning new music, you're working on the cognitive skill set to form new skills and memories. And when you're looking at familiar music, it's more sort of preserving the memories and strengthening the existing pathways are there. Is that That's a great way to summarize it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, we had the pleasure of talking with Dr. Asal Habibi yesterday, and she oh, had a little bit about the sound health network. And so I was wondering if you, um, you have some involvement there. I do. I'm the principal investigator. <laughs> well, then yes, you definitely do. I would love to hear more about it. <laughs> that's great. Yes. I wrote the grant. <laughs> that, that's what you call commitment, right? Versus like when you watch football on television versus you're a football player, you either read a grant or you write a grant. <laughs> So, yeah, so the Sound Health Network was just a really um, wonderful opportunity. Um, it the, the idea grew out of the Sound Health Initiative, which was this new relationship back in about 2017 between the National Institute of Health, the Kennedy Center, and the National Endowment for the Arts, and Renee Fleming. So these you know, amazing people, including the former director of the National Institute of Health, uh, Dr. Francis Collins, Renee Fleming and Dr. Collins just happened to meet at a, a cocktail party and had this amazing conversation that led to the idea that there really needs to be more collaboration and communication among people who are in the health space and the music space. And they started um, the initiative and ultimately released uh, $20 million um, in funding for grants, for music and health grants. But it became pretty clear that with all of these different stakeholders and this huge initiative, that they wanted to have a coordinator uh, uh, kind of to help kind of wrangle in all the different stakeholder groups. So the National Endowment for the Arts put out a call for a network, um, the Sound Health Network. And... I applied along with my colleagues, uh, Charles Lim, and the whole aim of the Sound Health Network was to take the and the um, the energy and and the the efforts that were happening with the Sound Health Initiative, and kind of help translate it. And our actual mission statement is to um, increase the awareness about the impact of music on health and well being. So we're we're trying to help translate kind of what's being happening in the communities, bring people together, get them talking, get rid of all those silos between different stakeholder groups, start to you know spark new ideas and innovation and, and really ultimately change um, the ecosystem, which is uh, helping you know elevate the, the value of music for health and well-being. Lastly, what advice would you give to someone who's trying to break into the field or someone applying for grants in, in this music cognition field? So the advice I would give would be to connect with the Sound Health Network. 
and that's uh, soundhealth.ucsf.edu. Um, and we have a directory where you can create a profile about your interests. We and it's it's optional. It's free. It's it's easy to do, and you can talk about what things interest you and the types of people you like to get involved with. We have a clearinghouse where you can search for articles um, related to music and health, and we update that every month. So there's new things all the time. We have a webinar series um, that brings together stakeholders from different perspectives and tries to get them to talk with each other and think about um, new ideas and and you know bring in um, new information. Um, Dr. Habibi was on one of our webinars, and. Um, we also have lots of other activities like affinity groups. We have a, a virtual networking platform. We have a student affinity group, which is pretty active. So for those who are in the next generation who are up and coming, um, they could join that group and start to talk with other students. And we, we have a few webinars that we recorded about grant writing. So you're welcome to check those out. For example, um, we collaborated with the National Institute of Health and the NEA on the topic of how to write a strong research plan. So feel free to check those out. They're on YouTube and free and available for anybody to watch. I think we'll definitely be checking those out as we as we look forward at our new pilot study. But I'd like to open it up to John and Carol to either talk about that or ask any questions. Well, this is amazing. Thank you so much, Julene. And I know that you and John are well connected, and um, and I'm and I'm going to just launch a few questions before I give John time. Okay, John, <laughs> ladies first. <laughs> so, um, Julene, we, as you know, are now deeply connected to the County of Los Angeles, and we're now preparing to do two pilot studies in two areas of the county. Uh, and we have our research team marshaled and working to create their questionnaires. We also now um, have a new drum circle that is about to start in the Palo Alto area at the uh, Rose Kleiner Avenida's daycare center do you nice. know them? i don't i'm up in san francisco but i'll okay I'll come up yep 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 and um and we are also now through a wonderful gentleman who is a retiring psychiatrist from uh, san francisco dr bruce victor i don't know if you've run into his name along the way he is also a professional musician and uh, carries a very bright light uh, for music and the brain and being a psychiatrist. Um, he is about to introduce us to a Dr. Bruce Miller, who is the founding director of the Global Brain Health Initiative at, in, at UCSF and also a, a doctor by the name of Victor Valcour, who's an MD, PhD researcher evidently. Do you know these people personally? I certainly do. Well, this is so interesting, and this is why I bring this to you. Dr. Miller has been on sabbatical for a long time, and he's home, and we know he's really busy, but Dr. Victor has their ear, and we're about to have a discussion 
about music men's minds and how we can invite seniors onto our Zoom platform with our music therapists, board certified, so that seniors who maybe are housebound or unable to find music offerings in their general neighborhoods can hop on Zoom three times a week. And I'm asking you too, if you have outreach that can expand our offering on Zoom, so that that is one question I have of you. Uh, the second question is, if we are busy uh, expanding our preach in the San Francisco area, is there a way that we can kind of have you piggyback somehow? <laughs> <laughs> I know you need 26 hours in your day. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've been in San Francisco, I think, over 23 years. So, And I have a lot of connections with the aging um, communities here in San Francisco. Um, so I'm very happy to, you know, connect you with some folks in the community uh, through that. And the majority, I would say, the majority of my research has been in the community. So... Yeah. I work very closely with our Department of Aging here and et cetera. So absolutely. And it seems a natural that once we refine our county city of Los Angeles relationship, we could mirror this hmm? in Northern California. I see, you know, green lights, abundance of green lights to be able to help us move the music uh, more deeply into the communities. And have yeah, music minds as the messenger mm -hmm. to all of these people needing the service. That's terrific. I yep. love your model because it's so easy to replicate and so important. I think um, you're absolutely right. Yes, yes. And we'll have to keep you in the loop as we meet Dr. Miller and, and Dr. Valcour. As I say, the initial meeting would be to invite their patients onto the Zoom platform. And of course, following closely behind how to expand in-person music groups in San Francisco so that people can have an in-person music making experience. So we're about to sow some really powerful organic seeds and um, you're gonna help us water them. Terrific. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did work with them for a few years in the past. So, yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. So, okay, John, your turn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, Julene. <laughs> Hi, John. It's wonderful to spend so much time with you uh, this week. Um, a couple quick questions. You um, obviously uh, familiar with and looked at Bob Sillman's Young at Heart group and in, uh, in, in, and watching them yes um they've have 100 year old soloists you know that do stuff it has nothing to do with uh, uh dementia issues it's quite the opposite but the continuous continuation of performance and and showing up so popular and then there's a group in england i'm trying to connect with called my dementia choir i know who the actress is that kind of fronts it and i'm trying mm -hmm. to get to them through there if you have a connection with them i'd love to know uh what that mm -hmm. is and how to do that so we can do that down also you talked mm -hmm. about your study of the uh senior centers in san francisco is that study available on it on the sound health network website or can you 
send to me so I can look at it and we can see how Absolutely. it works. Yes. Um, if you just search for community of voices, C-O-V-U-C-S-F. Would you write that down? It, it'll come up and I can even drop it in the chat if you like. Okay. We have its own dedicated website. I love that title. Yes. Um, Comunidad de Voces. We did it both in English and Spanish. Oh, right. Um, one of the things that we are very aware of that in studying just music in these people is that we're offering people that have really no access to community and socialization mm -hmm. the chances to be together. And when they sing together or when they play drums together, it's like communicating. Mm -hmm. And then they're open and all of a sudden you can, their communication to them, they pay attention. You can get, you know, the attention works and we want to prove that that's viable. Of course, we um, face the problem that everybody in this uh, area faces. So how do you take anecdotal results and translate that into metrics? Because the anecdotal that you get is like 100%. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nobody says, oh, I hate this. Or it says, I feel worse today after singing Home on the Range, you know, <laughs> or, uh, you know, how we translate that to metrics is one of the things we're working on. And so if you've solved some of that problem or think you have in your study or others, we'll be looking, I'll be looking for that. I'm going to have an experience with Renee next week at the LA opera thing with Jason right. talking. And, um, one of the people on my panel is the person that's the director of the Annenberg Gen Space, where we have started a drum circle that is like the biggest thing that ever hit them. <laughs> uh, waiting, the waiting lists. There's, we have a man that's so excited he brought his 101-year-old mother uh, every week and, and was determined that I take pictures and videos you know, of him when I was there. So it, the excitement is amazing. Now I have a technical question. Um, anecdotally, I've heard from several people who say that the their parent or the person, they go read to them because they can't read anymore. Mm -hmm. But they can sit down on the piano and they can read music. Mm -hmm. And that's just not the same as accessing music. That takes a lot of the same thing. They can still do it. I think part of that is the desire and the fact that they will not let that die in them. Maybe it may be part. I don't know how you translate that to science. Mm -hmm. The other part is that the muscle memory in your fingers, for example, certainly with me, I quit my piano lessons when I was 15 or 14. And I'm thinking if my mom knew what I was doing now, she'd forgive me. <laughs> um, sometimes my fingers can remember. I'll play songs that I taught myself from my uncle's repertoire. And I can still do it sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. But I give the credit to my fingers, not to my brain. How would you translate that into to this milieu uh, of uh, dementia and uh, intellectual challenge and the fact that there's still muscle memory? Well, as you probably know, your fingers are connected to your brain through your spinal cord. Yeah. And that cerebellum is a very important part of your brain. And we do know from some studies that um, the the cerebellum is very important part of those networks that are involved in music processing. So there's something special about coupling of music and movement. And, you know, all you have to do is watch dance and think about the extreme beauty and precision that you can couple music and, and, and dance and movement. So I think we're 
we still have a lot to learn about that, but we certainly know that there's um, the process of learning music is repetitious. So you're, you're doing it over and over and over again, but you're doing it in a way that's pleasurable, interesting and meaningful versus if you ask somebody to do 20 sit-ups, right? So there's emotion involved in it. And I think anytime you get movement, emotion and cognition together, that there is another secret sauce of, of it's meaningful. It's you repeat it over and over. And um, yeah, there's, there's music is the natural um, drug for that, right? It's the natural, natural enhancer for coupling those brain systems. Um, it, it has to be. I mean, we have things, you know, we've titled them earworms where there are tunes in our head that they, we hear it all of a sudden they're there, whether we want them to be or not. We okay. don't deal with language like that. We don't deal with stuff like that. It's only music. Mm-hmm. And it can happen while everything else is going on at the same time, too. You know, you could whistle a happy tune. You know, you can do it. I mean, there's I mean, there's a really scientific reason why this uh, uh, goes on. And uh, what Carol found in order to provide joy and happiness turned into science. And it's it's really cool to be connected with all of you and to be embraced by the Sound Health Network. And uh, well, it's amazing to have you in your thoughts, John, too, and also Carol. <laughs> really, really an honor. Thank you. And I'm going back probably 70 years and... I was blessed with amazing uh, talent as a pianist since I was just big enough to reach the keys, couldn't reach the pedals, but it evolved into me being a gold medalist pianist um, for many years until I had to make a decision whether it was academics or music. Mm -hmm. And in South Africa, um, it was tough to do both and do well at both. So I've never really been back, but my deep appreciation for music is in my DNA. But talking about repetition, yes, in order to prepare for all of these exams, I used to get a shilling an hour from my daddy. That's 25 cents an hour for practicing my scales. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just... I, I, I wish my parents had tried that. They, <laughs> maybe that's what happened. I had a jar full of shillings because of the hours that I was spending practicing and was resentful because all of my buddies used to get pocket money every month and they didn't have to work for it. And <laughs> translation, it actually turned me off the scales because <laughs> I was oh, funny. for it. But I'm reliving those priceless memories right now for the first time. <laughs> 70 years. <laughs> That's wonderful. I love it. <laughs> the walk down memory lane. <laughs> and we have another guest on our platform. Angela Yang is from Canada. She's a, a, a freshman neuroscience student at UCLA and and. She's our newest student assistant. Hi, sweetie. (laughs) Okay, so I'm done. But yes, I mean, Julene, this is just priceless. I might add, Kayla has a voice 
that takes her into the national anthem as a soloist at all of the UCLA games. Oh, wow. <laughs> and her, her top notes are just crystal clear. <laughs> and wonderful. So, so she's really wonderful. And, and our Angela is just a, a budding newbie. She's a figure skater, is is her claim to fame at, tw- at 18, I think. So I get such pleasure, uh, as I did even with Katie when she was undergraduate. This is the mummy in me, the mama bear. <laughs> time with all of these precious students, empowering them. And uh, we're all in the music game together. <laughs> It's not oh, lost fun. that uh, our, our artistics and athletics and stuff like that add to intellect and that it's, it's busy people who get things done, mm-hmm. uh, you know, insist on it and let somebody get their teeth on something and get really fascinated and interesting and the kids drive themselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're lucky to have them. That's inspiring. Mm-hmm. Very. And from... All of us. Thank you, Dr. Johnson, for spending your time with us today. And Thank we, you so much. We will remain connected. Terrific. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for loaning us, John, for our affinity group on music reimbursement. His thoughts and ideas are spectacular. <laughs> well, I, I don't have to uh, um, worry about my academic standing if I go out there into the lion's den and do something <laughs> stupid. So, <laughs> you know, there's there's uh, power in that. <laughs> yes, much appreciated. <laughs> Julene, it's been so great having you on with us today on Music as Medicine, Ask the Expert. We're just so grateful that you were able to come on today and share your knowledge. And we're looking forward to see what you do next. Thank, Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Kayla and Angela. Good luck. And uh, join the directory in the Sound Health Network and um, check out the webinars <laughs> on music and health. Thank you so much. Have a thank you. Oh, thank you. So wonderful. Have a good long weekend. Thank you again to our listeners for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about Music Men's Minds, please visit our website at www.musicmensminds.org. If this is a cause you would like to support, please consider donating to Music Men's Minds. We accept donations through our website. Thank you again to Dr. Julian Johnson for joining us today, and we'll see you next time.